Welcome to Tammy Sparacino Journal Club Casino Podcast, hosted by Tammy Sparacino. Welcome back, everyone. And uh, we are just uh, going to get right into Journal Club after Katie's uh, really informative presentation um, about single ventricle um, corrections, uh, specifically with Fontan. Today for Journal Club, we are going to be talking about a pretty interesting article, but not for the reasons that I thought it was going to be interesting. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I had the same problem with yeah. it. Um, so first off, uh, this article was published in Perfusion Journal, um, and the title of it is um, Alternative Techniques of uh, Long-Acting Cardioplegia Delivery Results in Less Hemodilution. Um, and it was uh, published uh, out of a hospital, a group of uh, people out of a hospital in Singapore. I'm not going to attempt to say their names, but they're there on the screen. And you can see it was a very um, robust group of people who contributed in this. I'll take one moment. I believe John Ingram has just joined us. So welcome, John. Uh, we're glad to have you so that we can see you now. Um, morning. Good morning. Okay, let me just read the abstract to you. Um, so this uh, uh, background, the preparation of del nido cardioplegia and its delivery technique can cause significant hemodilution. The resultant effects from hemodilution are largely proportionate to the use of a dual circuit. We opted for a custom disposable single cardioplegia circuit instead of a dual circuit. We'll get into their methods more um, as we go on, but I'll talk real quick about just the results so you can kind of know where we're going with this. They had um, a decent size uh, a population that they looked at. It's a, a retrospective study of 177 patients who underwent um, cardiac surgery with del nido cardioplegia. Um, 76 of them were um, valve only. Five were um, uh, coronary artery bypass grafts only. They looked at ultrafiltration utilization, which was 132 patients, about 63%, and their um, filtrate volume was uh, just over two liters. The alternative technique of del nido cardioplegia delivery was adopted by their institution, which is uh, National University Hospital. It'll be abbreviated as NUH moving forward. And they advocate for a single pump uh, single circuit system. The um, institutional data was highlighted for safe delivery of Del Nido um, using this technique in a range of procedures. And we'll get to the conclusion a little bit more as we could, go. Could you go back to that one second? Absolutely. Very interesting though their range of ultrafiltration. Their mean was 2200 but they were 150 cc's all the way up to 9,500 cc's mm -hmm. is what I was read there, yeah. which I found very interesting because, of course, I want to know why would you have 9,500 unless the patient was that fluid overloaded or you're giving them an off, you're doing Z-buff or you're doing something else. So I did find that interesting that that range was so wide, 150 to 9,500. Yes, and I'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, I'll read you some um, excerpts from the article on okay. hemodilution as we go a little bit into this. All right, so I hope everyone has their glasses on if you can't see very well, because some of these diagrams, they get pretty intricate. You can um, highlight, too. You put your finger on it, remember? You get a, they get a laser light. Yeah, it, wait till you see these diagrams, though. Okay, why was this paper, paper published? I actually want to read you specifically their objective, because I thought it, it was pretty clear. 
their objective was to describe their setup of the standard, or describe a setup of the standard cardioplegia circuit used in NUH, their hospital, um, also called the NUH technique because they developed this circuit specifically for their hospital, as well as present their retrospective data of patients who had received a Delnido cardioplegia administered during heart surgery just to shed some technical light on aspects associated with NUH's alternative technique of this delivery. Okay. So they didn't really have problems to be solved other than they just did, kind of did a comparison of standard circuit compared to their circuit. And this is how they did it. All right, so their methods were, um, the single center retrospective study collected 177 patient data. They underwent the heart surgery at NUH in Singapore between January 2017 and April 2019. They collected demographic data, pre-existing health conditions, pre-operative, um, post-operative. They were all analyzed. Um, initial perioperative and early post-operative variables were analyzed as well. The, um, and then they looked at... Uh, different uh, indications of how well the myocardium was protected, uh, including acute renal failure, low cardiac output syndrome, and post-operative uh, IABP implantation. Okay, so here's our first diagram. And um, I'll just read to you real quick. This is their, this is their design. Um, you can see we've got a, sort of a, a standard on the left, you know, reservoir oxygenator, uh, drainage uh, and uh, indication of coming from the patient. And then you see a whole lot of other stuff. So let me just tell you what you're looking at. So this is their, what they call standard cardioplegia circuit. And they've got various clamps and uh, ways to divert the way that they're going to be um, circulating things. The main thing I want to point out, and I'll go ahead and just uh, highlight the pin here, is that you're draining from the patient going into your reservoir. You've got your regular main pump to your oxygenator and then coming around through, I guess they have an arterial filter still, and then back into the patient. So that's your basic circuit right there. Now if, um, let me just see real quick and I'll change colors. Now we'll just look at the cardioplegia circuit. Okay, so you can see that their cardioplegia circuit starts up here at the top, but it's not coming from the reservoir. It's coming from Right here, they've got bags of solution. Um, and here, you see they have a tubing clamp there to help control flow. Then it is flowing in through their cardioplegia pump, up through a cooling uh, mechanism bucket, through um, a bubble trap, and then coming back in to um, go to the patient, depending on whatever the technique may be, whether it's integrate, retrograde. Then they also have another area where they have a bypass. So you come out of your bubble trap from the cardioplegia and you bypass going to the patient. You have a recirculation line that then comes back and comes through back to the um, reservoir. Okay? All right, so it's very complicated. Then we'll look at one more thing. Yeah, I was like, where's the blood going to come from? Yeah. I see it. I yeah. see it, finally. Okay. So then you also have this, well, I'm not even going to get to that. Then let's say you're here. You're, here's your cardioplegia circuit. Go through the pump. 
Well, then you have another direction that is not even going to be that direction. It comes from this infusion pump where you could give um, a different cardioplegia. It's a syringe pump, and then it runs through this ice bucket, through the bubble trap, and then to the patient. Okay? All right. Well, then you have the blood. Yeah. No, I haven't even gotten you there yet. You haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. Okay. okay i got to change colors again. All right. Now, you're wondering, how are we mixing blood with our uh, cardioplegia? Well, the blood is coming from here into your circuit, then in through here, and then mixing this way, and then going to the patient. Everybody got it straight now? Because it took me quite a bit Why? of time. Why? Okay, well, let's, Why? Let, let's, let's just get through this. So this is their circuit they designed. And I'll just read you the description briefly. So... Um, the standard cardioplegia circuit at NUH has Roberts clamps that are closed to prevent the plasmolyte from entering the circulation. Uh, deoxygenated blood drains from the patient into the reservoir, which becomes oxygenated after passing through the oxygenator. The circuit draws oxygenated blood from the main cardi cardiopulmonary bypass circuit, which when they say circuit, they're meaning their cardioplegia circuit. Mm -hmm. It then passes through a segment of quarter-inch silicone pump boot uh, tubing that serves as a uh, dilutant for the cardioplegia concentrate infused by the syringe pump. The cardioplegia then passes through an ice bucket with an aluminum cooling coil and an inverse air trap before it's delivered to the patient. And that's a lot, right? Okay, all right, let's go to the next slide. Um, in case you're um, curious about their particular uh, preparation of del cardioplegia, here's the breakdown. I didn't see anything really that was too out of the ordinary. It looks pretty standard, but here it is for you to review. Okay, now we get a little more complicated. And I had to include these together because you, um, you really need to see one compared to the other. And the print's kind of small, so I'll read to you what you need to know here, but figure two, so the one that would be on the left-hand side of the screen, is the arrangement of the clamps to homogenize and cool the Del Nido. So, real quick, let's get a good color here. I like that one. All right, so if you'll see here, what you've got is, you have this part that is kind of interesting. So that is actually, an, it's a syringe that they're getting blood from, uh, from the patient, and then infusing it in uh, into their cardioplegia circuit. Because you can see now that we don't have a, um, we, I'm trying to think, how, so it, let me read it how they word it here. So they have a blood harvesting after aortic or femoral cannulation. And so it's coming in through here, controlled through a stopcock, and then mixing in this way, going into their Del Nido bag. Now you've got the Del Nido mixed with blood, come, flowing back out through their cardioplegia circuit, running through their ice bucket, through their um, bubble trap. And then depending on if you open or close a clamp, just continuing to circulate. Okay, so you see the loop there? All right. Now, if you look at the, uh, well, let me finish reading the description a little bit. So they say, after the autogalous blood is harvested through aortic or femoral arterial cannulation with a 50cc syringe, 
It enters the um, Del Nido cardioplegia circuit where the Roberts clamp to the Del Nido solution is kept open to allow mixing. The mixture then flows through the roller pump, an ice bucket, and the inverse air tra uh, chamber, which is attached to a pressure monitor. The Roberts clamp to the patient's aortic root is closed while the homogenization of the Del Nido cardioplegia occurs until it's ready for cold delivery at a temperature between 4 and 7. So they've kind of got this continuous circulation thing going on, and uh, they, they believe that's superior. They think it, uh, for one thing, gives um, an even distribution of how cold the cardioplegia is. Okay? Yeah. All right. Now, let's look at the other side. So figure three, the one to the right, um, this just shows, um, it's the same circuit. It just shows the reposition of the clamp to actually deliver the cardioplegia now. So after you've done figure one, where you've circulated, you've mixed, you've got it cold, so now your flow is coming from your bag down through your roller head pump or whatever your pump is, through your ice bucket, air chamber, you monitor the pressure, and then your clamp's open, so then it flows this way and it's being delivered to the patient. All right? Everybody with me so far? Okay. So here's figure four, and what this one is talking about is it's looking at it's not really modifying the circuit anyway, but it's highlighting a different, another feature of their circuit, which, uh-oh. Uh -oh. What happened? Whoops. We just went down. No, I think it was me, though. Oh, there we go. Oh. Yeah, I just hit the wrong button. We're back up. We're back up. That was easy. Okay, so what I want to draw your attention to is this part of the circuit here. You've probably been wondering, what's that syringe pump for? Yeah, I've been wondering that, too. Yeah. I've, I've been, yes, still, okay. still trying to figure this out. <laughs> so the syringe pump is really not a part of when we're talking about the Del Nido delivery. The syringe pump is an option to be able to give, uh, in their case, St. Thomas cardioplegia. Okay, so if you're looking at that one, then your cardioplegia solution is coming from here, then going through here, up through here, and you'll see um, when you're following the St. Thomas, it's the purple arrow on their diagram. Then going through here and here, and you got your purple blood from here initially. I guess I should have started there. And then it's mixing here and then running through their ice bucket. Okay. So I'm going to get to why, why we talked about that a little bit. So let's just go to their conclusions. I, I didn't really want to highlight all of their preoperative data. They didn't find out anything extraordinary other than they compared their, their surgeries uh, they, uh, to uh, similar, uh, similar surgeries at Cleveland Clinic. And really the only thing that they did different is that they routinely use it in Singapore on uh, uh, bypass surgery where Cleveland Clinic did not. But the results were basically. So they're the same. using this on coronaries, coronary bypass Everything. operations, okay. or valves. So Everything. these are not some kind of weird complex congenital like Katie. So this has no. nothing to do with congenitals. Nothing to do with congenitals, although it's just as complex as trying to understand it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So their conclusion for their study, which remember just was explaining their alternate technique um, uh, that they've adopted, is that a single pump, single circuit system 
just for cardioplegia that doesn't rely on the main circuit, if you will, um, is uh, they advocate for it. Their retrospective institutional data highlighted a safe delivery of Delnita cardioplegia using their single pump system in a range of procedures. The NUH technique reduces hemodilution as well as provides other technical benefits including a steeper temperature gradient, a modification of circuit configuration to deliver another cardioplegia while on bypass, as well as reconfiguration of clamps to spike the base solution. I'm not really sure about that last conclusion. I didn't really get that from it. But I thought what was really interesting was their um, point that they could modify, they, that they have a modification to be able to switch up their cardioplegia type mid-procedure, mm -hmm. which is pretty interesting. I mean, okay. All I mean, right. I don't, I don't see that as very difficult to do. Well, under, I mean, I mean, I don't really understand it. I, I mean, I read this article. Yeah. And I was, I was in pain. You can take the slides down, David. Yeah. You were in I was pain. in pain. I was in pain actually reading it because I still don't understand their point. Their point is they're trying to highlight an unusual cardioplegia circuit setup that they have come up with mm -hmm. and that they find to be superior. And in what way? Well, I mean, why is it, why do they, so reduced hemodilution, I don't know how that, I don't know how that circuit reduces hemodilution. I've, I've yet to figure it out. Well, um, okay. So help me understand. I'll touch on the hemodilution. Can I you do... call one of these people? Is there a number we can call? <laughs> it took me quite I'm still a while to, to get through this. these diagrams, that's for sure. So uh -huh. we can talk a little bit about um, the hemodilution. Let me what get did to Dr. That. Cooley say? Keep it simple. Keep it simple, the yeah. KISS principle. Yeah. Um, okay, so they believe that their custom circuit setup allows for the rich, undiluted aortic blood to be collected straight from the patient, so it's not being mixed, uh, you know, in the regular bypass circuit. Um, so do you understand, like, it's not, we're not hemodilution, because when you go on bypass, you automatically have hemodilution, correct? Okay, so they're doing it to have a higher hematocrit in their blood, believing that there's increased oxygen availability. Yes. So that's the reason. Yes. Okay. Yes. Got Does it. that make more sense? Yes. Yes. That makes, that makes, yes. That's, no, it doesn't make any sense to me. But it, that's if that's their reason that's for their doing reason. it, um, that's very interesting Okay, so here, here I'll summarize all of this, because I read this article, although it was not very long, many times, mm -hmm. trying to sort of get the gist of it. So they believe that by not diluting the blood that is mixed with the Del Nido, that it has higher oxygen carrying capacity, which they think is better protection for the heart. They believe by being able to continually circulate through a heater cooler, that they're able to have a... a heat a, exchanger, yeah. Oh, sorry, heat exchanger. Um, that they are able to maintain a consistent lower temperature for the Del Nido, which they, they think is better protection mm -hmm. okay, for, the, for the heart. Um, and they're able to do that because, I, you know, a long time ago when I first came out, I had, was somewhere that I think it was a Terumo system that was crystalloid only that had a coil and an ice bucket and you mm -hmm. continually circulated. Yeah. And so it was really cold. And yeah. so I guess it's that kind of 
thought process that they're able to keep it really cold because mm -hmm. you have a way to circulate it because you are, you know, running a loop through your, your cardioplegia mm -hmm. system. Yeah, it was COBE. Was it, it COBE? Was COBE. Oh, okay. The it's COBE coil. The COBE coil, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was just a very brief part. Like, I was sort of on my way in and it was on its way out. So, yes. Yeah. Um, so that's their, that's their other thing. Um, and then they um, believe that by being able to, so there's three main advantages is what I got from this. The, um, the what they call ultra-rich, uh, undiluted aortic blood that's mixed with their cardioplegia, del nido. Then they're able to keep it cold because they're continually circulating. And then, say you're through your, most of your surgery, you know, your 65 minutes or whatever, but the surgeon needs a little bit more time. Rather than giving additional Del Nido, a half dose or something like that, at that point, they're able to switch, you know, moving their clamps, and they can now give St. Thomas cardioplegia just a very small dose just to get to that 15 minutes or whatever the surgeon might need. Mm -hmm. And they think that that leads to um, better... Uh, uh, better recovery. Myocardial protection. Yeah, it, well, and uh, uh, the ability for the heart to come back quicker because the Del Nido would knock it down more. Gotcha. Um, and actually, one more benefit that they um, thought that they had was, um, uh, oh, that because they have a, um, if you go back to uh, look at one of the diagrams, which we don't need to pull it up, you remember there was a double quickie prime spike system, and mm -hmm. one bag is plasma light, and one bag is their cardioplegia. Yes. The reason why they have that plasma light is they're able to then, uh, let's say you want to give uh, all the full amount of your bag of Del Nido, you know, there's always some left in the circuit, um, they're able to chase it through, and so they said that leads to um, full use, no waste, and uh, sometimes might save you even... Uh, having to give additional cardioplegia because you were able to give everything that was fully in the circuit. So I guess four benefits. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Very yeah. interesting. Uh, I, John, you got any thoughts on this? Yeah, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> well, I'm glad you explained the benefits because I was scratching my head along the way, like Joe was, I think, <laughs> trying to figure out exactly what it all was they were trying to accomplish because... Um, uh, this circuit is probably not for the faint of heart. I'd hate no. to be a traveler and walk in there and decide I'm going to run this circuit the first day. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things you have to keep in mind there that can possibly go wrong, I would think. But, um, you know, I, I, uh, if they don't mind working this complicated, in other words, they've got to draw, I don't know, 60cc syringe full of blood or maybe more than one to infuse into the Donito yes. bag so they have straight blood as opposed to diluted pump blood. But by the way, um, you know, if you have a pre-hematocrit of 35 and you go on pump with a wrapping and low low prime, you probably only have a crit of 25 to 28 in your pump anyway. So I'm not sure that it sounds good, but I don't know if you're gaining a whole lot by doing a whole lot of work there. You know what I mean? You're not diluting. When you go on pump, you're not having a 50% dilution of your hematocrit any, anymore, especially if you're wrapping. You have maybe a five to eight point drop in your hematocrit if you if you're real conscious about prime and hemodilution, which they apparently seem to seem to be. So I would wonder if they're if they're doing some of those things. Mm -hmm. um, recirculating cardioplegia compared to a single pass, surely you can get it extremely cold. 
Um, <clears throat> but I didn't know that Dr. Del Nido recommends that it be given that cold. I thought he was a 15 degree, 18 degree delivery temperature mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. his recommended technique, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Well, they're doing obviously modified Del Nido. This <laughs> is not Del Nido at all because Del Nido is a crystalloid cardioplegia. It's not a blood cardioplegia. Well, no, you mix blood with it. But not very much. You, yeah, it's a one to four to one to five solution. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, in the reverse, so less blood, obviously. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, it's that 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 part's not really that modified. No, okay. no, no. So, so there's a question: How big of a bag is the Donito bag they're using? Um, yeah, they uh, that's actually detailed here. So let me tell you real quick because they talked about adding uh, the one to four blood cardioplegia ratio found in the Donito. Uh, let's see, da, 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 da. I know that they said they added 250, so that would yeah. make it a, a like a, a liter bag, so, um, right. yeah, yeah, so it's the standard liter bag or whatever that they were well, uh, talking about there. Well, I worked at a place that, you know, and, and as many times as they could, they would do, what did they call it, uh, it's like free donation, but it's in the OR, while the anesthesiologist is putting lines in, Mm -hmm. And before we've done anything, they donate a unit of blood, which is 250 cc's. But you could only do that on certain patients. Yeah. Right. You could only do that on patients that had a decent hematocrit. And we didn't do it. I'd say we tried doing it on everyone, but we probably only did it about 50% of the time. So if they're having to pull off 250 cc's, they said something about a syringe. That would be, uh, I don't know, four or five 60 cc syringes. Right. But they're probably doing it through a donation bag. But maybe they're not doing it through a donation bag because then how would you mix it into the Del Nido bag. So, yeah, they're probably doing, so, like I said, they're uh, probably pulling off four, 460 cc syringes mm -hmm. is probably what they're doing and then having to mix that in the bag and then they can recirculate it. I mean, they're willing to go through a lot of additional time and energy to, uh, to do that. Um, but, you know, like I said, if, you, if you're not diluting the patient very much from their circuit, I don't know if you're gaining, what they're trying to gain is a lot more oxygenation capacity and I'm not sure that's, Probably measurable with what they're doing. Well, I don't even think it's I don't well, even think it's needed at that temperature. I mean, you have I mean that you talk about luxurious oxygen, and of course that cold, your oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve, which we've talked about so much, has shifted so mm -hmm. far over. Your yeah. extraction rate for oxygen in the, at at that temperature is going to be very very low. And then whatever happened with the idea that um, you know blood viscosity increases with decreasing temperatures and now mm -hmm. you're trying to give cardioplegia with a much higher hemoglobin or hematocrit in it that is much more viscous in the coronaries maybe it doesn't make any difference it's so diluted at four to one yeah. or whatever it is one to four mm -hmm. uh ratio but you know still i mean those are still considerations there's reasons why um, if you're using profound hypothermia circulatory arrest, that we don't want to start our circulatory arrest period with a hematocrit of 40. You, know, you want to so have a lot less uh, dilution for obvious reasons because of viscosity. Go ahead. I was just going to say, y'all are really getting into the weeds of this. Let's just <laughs> be on the top here. Okay. That's way too complicated of a circuit. Do you know how many clamps are on that thing? I think at one point, one of the diagrams... It's an accident waiting to happen. Yeah, because you've yeah. got your Roberts clamps. Did you click them? Yeah. Then you've yeah. got your stopcock, three-way stopcocks. Is it positioned the right way? Mm -hmm. And then you've got your tubing clamps that you're also doing. 
Then you've got your Roberts clamps up here, too, of an extra bag of fluid that mm -hmm. you could then inadvertently just, mm -hmm. you know, give uh, plasmolite instead of. There are so many things. And then let's not even talk about. I don't think there's any studies of mixing cardioplegias. Can you yeah. imagine if you oh, did I, that? I have no idea. I, I, I'll say this. I'm going to give the authors compliments for, for, for putting together some really nice-looking graphs and diagrams. Very I mean, nice. was, there, was there an improvement in outcomes? I mean, what, did the, what was their conclusion as far as well, their outcomes? Were they improved with this? They did find that... Uh, Average um, published data, I guess, on um, hemoconcentration um, using a hemoconcentrator uh, with Del Nido was somewhere around 86%, um, and with uh, their technique, only 62%. Need for hemoconcentration. Right. I mean, such a benign, um, beneficial thing to do, but very low risk, high reward kind of. Yeah. Kind of thing. So I I'm going to give them compliments on. I mean, just thinking this, of it but alone. But I'm going to ask a question. Yeah. I'm going to ask a, probably a very controversial question because uh -oh. I like to do that. <laughs> you know, should this article have ever been accepted by a mainstream journal to be published? I well, mean, really, I need to ask this question. Should that have been published? I, I mean, I think it's published. Uh, published worthy. Yes, and here's why? why. Yeah. Well, I think their techniques are. I, Joe, I've read a lot of articles in the past especially in the past, uh, what, whatever it is. Two years. Two years that mm -hmm. we've been doing this. And there are some that made it into even bigger journals that I was very surprised. Mm -hmm. Hopefully not ones we presented here, but, you know, we read other articles as well while we're, where we're looking around for good articles. And mm -hmm. um, I don't think this was a, a terrible, uh, terribly written article. I think the... Um, the graphics are great. I think they have an interesting idea. I just don't know. And it might have maybe a small benefit in, you know, depending on how you're looking at it, but it's just so complex. Mm -hmm. And I just think that the, if you don't have to make something complex, why do it? Yes, I agree with you 100%. That, that's just, that's my only criticism. I think this article, yes, I think this article is a, is a poster child of how not to deliver cardioplegia. Well, um, I mean, I guess if you understand how to, it. How you to know, complicate something that is so simple. Someone could probably say about our hyperkalemia cases as well. No, how can you say that? It's so much more simple. <laughs> this it's is so a, much, my, the hyperkalemia is so incredibly simple compared to, compare the hyperkalemia technique to doing, um, let's say, uh, uh, port access or hard well, port, whichever well, you want to call but it. But point, well, well, let me finish. But my point let is me finish. to You're someone. You're not letting me finish. Okay. To comparing that to our, to a standard cardioplegia and a hemoconcentrator for volume control to this. So tell me how 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 you think the hyperkalemia would be more complex than than the difference between plain cardioplegia like we normally do and and this or some other technique, port access, even cross-clamping. I mean, I think hyperkalemia is the simplest thing we've ever done. It's so simple. There's, you don't need anything. Potassium, hemoconcentrator, some fluid, and a Neptune. Okay, you're, you might be biased. It's a great technique. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I needed to hear that. Thank you. But, That's all I'm waiting for. But there are, anytime you modify a circuit, if you're not familiar, let, think back to, and I know you're not a fan of this, but John, you can, you can be with me here. Think back to when the first 
times you were doing wrap, right? You're not even really modifying your circuit. You're just using your clamps perhaps in a different way. And even that, um, there's potential for mistakes and anxiety of not doing something correctly that you're not used to doing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's where the, the, my point about hyperkalemia, it's not that the procedure is so overly complex, but you're modifying your circuit, you're adding fluids, you're doing things you're not used to doing. Sure. That's the reason why the port access stuff, that those don't tend to work. I mean, sure, visibility and all these kinds of things, and, but on the perfect patient, it works great with the person who knows exactly how to do it. You could say that too about minimally invasive cardiac surgery. With a surgeon who really knows how to do it, those are easy cases. Mm -hmm. um, with surgeons that maybe don't have the skill level up yet or maybe never get it, they're very difficult cases. So mm -hmm. that, that's my point is if, if, you, can, if you have good outcomes um, with a simplified method that you're familiar with, I think that's the way you... I think that's what you do. I think so. And I think that that, you know, I, everything I do, and I think we all do this as perfusionists, this is sort of the, and I think medical practitioners do this um, as, a, as, a, as a whole group, there's risk and reward. Yes. And if it's, you, you want there to be higher reward for the risk. Everything we do has risk. Mm -hmm. And not everything we do, however, has reward. And sure. some things... So you have to first look at the reward and then consider, is this a high enough reward for this level of risk? And then in my humble view, um, or perhaps not so humble view, what you just showed that circuit is way too high a risk for too low of a reward for me. What, the, what I mainly got out of it that I want to, you know, that's what I want. for the, That's the whole reason why we... I like to discuss these articles is not necessarily even the article, but where is it going to lead me next? Mm -hmm. So now I'm very interested in giving different types of cardioplegia to the same patient in the same procedure. Yeah, I think that seems odd too. So that would be something really interesting because to find I've out often wondered that. about that. I've been in some cases where we use Del Nido, and the case maybe didn't go as the way you planned, and you have given multiple bags of Del Nido, and all of a sudden the pharmacy's like. We don't have any more Del Nido, and we're telling them, just mix it up. And they're, yeah. and they're saying, can't you just use this Plegisol? And I don't know if you can, so my answer was absolutely not. you got to make the Del Nido. Right. So I don't really know anything about that, but I'm going to look into that. Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know the answer to that either, to be frank. Uh, John, do you? I, I think, uh, no, I don't know the answer to that, but I think what you're seeing here is it's probably not so uncommon with all the things that if we, you are all of us, all three of us have experienced it. I'll tell you what that is. You, you work every day, you use the same circuit, use the same circuit, you're super familiar with it. You make a little modification to improve something, now you're super familiar with that. You make another little modification mm -hmm. six months later, you're super familiar with that. And a third modification six months later. Three years later, it's this very complicated thing, but to you, you've grown up with it. You yeah. did, you evolved with it, and it's really not complicated to you. But you walk in on the first day, you or you, 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 you or I, and we'd be like, what is this, you know, nest you're, you're showing me here? But um, they would probably evolve with it. And I'll tell you, the reason mm -hmm. I think it's good that it's published is it gets people thinking about, well, you know, we do have a problem with a lot of hemodilution with Del Nido. What is a way that maybe we could improve that? And I have a feeling the surgeons looked back at the perfusionist one day and said, you know, we like this Del Nido, but this hemodilution, you guys got to figure something out back there where we don't have such a problem with that. 
and maybe there was another day when when they didn't deliver it very cold and the surgeon said to them can't you guys deliver this a little bit colder and they thought okay well maybe if we do this we can recirculate it so i think this was a a process that probably took a, a couple years or more more to evolve to what to what you're seeing there mm-hmm. well uh, i, I think you got to be right about that you know, Maybe some of us can adopt a little bit of this into our circuit without too much trouble. That's mm-hmm. probably why it's a decent reason why it was published, is well, because it exposes stimulation of thought. Absolutely. And yeah. if they were using a real, a real cardioplegia delivery set with a heat exchanger in it, like we all now use, and... Even if you use just an ice bucket, old Sarns bucket, but if you just use a 3T heater cooler, I'll throw a, throw a bone to leave a Nova in their 3T heater cooler, um, and you make it super cold versus using that crazy coil in an ice bucket, you could get it, I mean, a single pass is going, I've measured it before, it's really cold. Well, so you can do that. And I, that I, why are they using, why do they have such complexity, but they're using something that is so arcane as a coil in an ice bucket for cooling their cardioplegia? That is interesting. I guess it's what they're comfortable with. That's what John was saying. They probably had something, you know, that stemmed from using a coil um, and that they built on that, you know, over, over time. I know the reason why this is going on. I have it figured out. What's that? In Singapore, no doubt they are using physicians to be perfusionists over there, and they just decided that they had to make this as complicated as they possibly could because they're bored. Um, something uh, because I just would never. I would even 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 over time, John. I could never come up with something that complicated for well, something that is so simple for us to do. It it that makes sense. It does stimulate some thought because. With some, some simple modifications, we could also um, prime in a way uh, that, or not prime, cir- uh, modify our circuit in a way that you are able to recirculate. Let's say that was something that you're interested in doing. Sure, you can recirculate cardioplegia. I mean, I don't think that would be complicated at all. Yeah. You just need a Y connector distal to your heat exchanger going back up to your bag it's just Mm going to go around in a circle and you just move the clamp and you're delivering cardioplegia or you're recirculating the cardioplegia Mm -hmm. i mean that's a pretty straightforward simple thing to do but right but i would have never even thought about doing that anymore but they found a reason why they think it uh you know gives better uh mixing and i have noticed when you use del nido if you're not really good about mixing your bag, which sometimes you're in a rush because you've got a surgeon who's, you know, you're on pump, you're filling your Del Nido bag, and they're ready to clamp, and they want you to give. And that's all going on within a couple minutes. Sure. And if you don't take the time to really try to mix that bag, by the time you get to the end, you you do not have a, 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 a homogeneous mixture. Sure. You know, sure. you've got a lot of crystalloid or if you misjudged how much you were supposed to put in there and now you don't have quite enough and you're adding some blood kind of midstream again you're not going to have exactly you know the, the right mixture mm-hmm. so well i've got a solution to that don't use del nido don't use del nido on adult <laughs> cardiac surgery it's not what it's meant for that's number one number two is use a hemoconcentrator number three they can want me to go on go on flow down clamp on Back up, pulse plea John, pulse <laughs> they can they can want all they want, 
And I Pull have, the patient. And I have the ability to oh. say, oh, my God, that's so disgusting. <laughs> that's really vile. I mean, they're not going to ask me to do that. And I'm certainly, if they, anybody asked me to do that, there would be, I'd be the end of my job. But, I mean, you, we have the ability to say, I, I, I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. You got to give me a second. They can get as frustrated as they want, but, you know, I'm still mixing the Del Nido and it needs to be homogeneous for me to give it properly. So one second, please. You I can mean, see really... why Joe is not the favorite perfusionist. No. Right. But, uh, I mean, you Joe, do what you do. Sure, I'm not sure in a country such as Singapore uh, where um, the respect is far greater from, uh, you know, higher ups to lower that you could probably take that stance. I'd be interested to know that. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, saying? I think Singapore's a pretty advanced society. I don't think that they are. Well, they're not, they're not, um, I don't think that they're that, I mean, they may be in the medical community. I'm not really sure, but I mean, it's, Singapore's a pretty westernized, advanced society. Isn't Singapore the one that uh, that uh, China's trying to take over now? Aren't they sort of, uh, that's Hong Kong. That's Hong Kong, not Singapore. Yeah. But I think Singapore has the same problem, right? I don't know. I, don't well, know. I can't speak Singapore to that. Singapore is uh, largely Chinese people, and I can assure you that the respect from the hierarchy of age, the hierarchy of education, and the hierarchy of, of female to male is very pronounced. Because mm. I've known people from Singapore. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I know that. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, so, very interesting. I think I'd love to see Joe pump a case in Singapore and have a video. <laughs> it would be, it'd be, it certainly would be very interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I might do it in Singapore because I think I'll make it out of there. But it may be a bad idea for me to do it in North Korea. I might not make it. I might not make it back. Well, I, I do went there appreciate the article being published because I think it's uh, stimulated a lot of debate, and those are always good articles. Absolutely. Okay. Very good. Uh, any questions from the audience or anything? So I'm not uh, seeing anything come over the wire. That's Our viewership they, they is need still to good. Blow up the pictures. So look at all those clamps. Exactly. You should have seen me with my. I, I don't want to say readers, but yeah, yeah, I was trying to see everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's very complex. I think the the bottom line is it brings out it does stimulate a lot of concern, a lot of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, one is, uh, you know, of course, I I I don't believe in rap. I think ultrafiltration is just such an easy way to overcome any hemodilution that may occur. Um, I think we go on pump too soon or too fast, I should say. I think in the old days, we used to just sort of mix very slowly, drain Mm -hmm. a little and add a little, drain a little and add a little. And then we would have a lot less of that initial on bypass effect. And I learned this actually. And the reason I feel that way is I recently took a patient from our center to the medical center uh, to get them on the transplant uh, fast track and they were an ECMO patient and we had to switch over from our circuit to their circuit and um, they were using a circuit that had a not insignificant amount of tubing length and size to it and a lot of hemodilution and when they switched it over the actual switch out was only 41 seconds and this patient was you know they were ECMO dependent but not so much so that they couldn't tolerate a minute or two of being off. They had enough enough residual lung mm-hmm. that they weren't going to just crump right there. But so the initial change only took 41 seconds from the clamping, cutting, reconnecting. It was 
when they turned it back on, there was this much longer period of time of just this crystalloid going into the patient, and he seized. I mean, he seized. He was getting ready to code. His uh, heart rate went, went up. I mean, he really had a problem with that. And the last several ECMOs that I've done, unless the patient was crashing, I have gone on very, very slowly and slowly ramped up my flow until, uh, not until full flow, until I actually saw blood coming mm -hmm. out of the oxygenator and it was oxygenated. And I think going on bypass, we would benefit patients in that regard as well because mm -hmm. it can take a minute or two, you know, to get blood into the patient, even with our low, uh, low priming volumes. So not I think if you that wrap. would be a benefit. If you wrap, you got blood right away. <laughs> okay, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but I think hemoconcentration is just such a simple way to avoid excessive hemodilution. And mm -hmm. just, again, it's risk-reward. And I think that anytime you're not on pump and you're moving clamps and draining one way or whatever, there's always an increased risk, and I think that just hemoconcentration is a very simple way to do it. It just makes more sense to me. Mm -hmm. So that's 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 my perspective on it. I don't think you I don't think you reduce transfusion need by wrapping if you ultrafiltrate. You have a hemoconcentrator online during the procedure, and the incremental increase in cost of a hemoconcentrator is so small in comparison to everything else that's mm -hmm. happening there that I think that the benefit is 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 100% towards hemoconcentration on a routine basis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. Some surgeons are opposed to it, though. And they are, you know, everyone has an opportunity to be wrong, even even heart surgeons. And this idea that hemoconcentration, so we're using an open reservoir. Think about this for a minute. You have an open reservoir. You're on bypass. The heart is totally flaccid. You have it full of blood. And let's say your level is 15, 1600, and uh, your hematocrit is 17. And they would rather you give a couple of units of PAC cells with all of its risks and, and, and complications associated with it than to hemoconcentrate off your reservoir volume, which doesn't change any of the patient's volume status. And they think that that increases renal uh, complications postoperatively. I don't know how you can even connect those dots, but I have seen people try to do it. And it's, it's a, such an absurd argument. I can't even have an argument with somebody about it because it makes no sense. Well, I don't necessarily hear that when I hear opposition. I hear that um, perfusionists um, take off too much volume and then therefore post-op they're dry and so they're going to uh, be hemodynamically unstable shortly thereafter and then the surgeon is being called and what you know we're going to give you know are we going to can we give them the fluid can we do this and i think that that that's been the more common thread of when i've had opposition mm -hmm. from surgeons mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i usually can combat that with i since we give delnito right or whatever prime i'm only going to take off what i put into it unless sure. this is just an overloaded patient right, right you know i'm taking off the del nido and if i have enough to also take off you know my 
my uh, you know leader prime or whatever it is, mm -hmm. then I'll do that as well. Mm -hmm. And you you know well in the critical care unit, everybody understands. I think it's it's commonly understood that drier patients do better. I don't think you want them to be tissue desiccated by any stretch. Yep. Uh, but normalizing the COP, removing the fluid that you need to remove from the intravascular space to have a full heart, appropriately full, not overloaded, or a bunch of pump volume left over that you're going to throw to the cell saver and get rid of all of the plasma and platelets and only conserve the red blood cells, um, you know, probably doesn't help. But I think that if you were to exaggeratingly raise the COP in order to drain out, to, to reclaim intravascularly all of the extravascular fluid you could, that, yeah, you're going to have third spacing occur, you know, redistribution post, of yeah. that volume mm -hmm. postoperatively. But I've always argued it is much easier to give volume than it is to get volume out once you leave the operating room and you're in the critical care unit. Mm -hmm. So, I, but I think that, yeah, you can ultrafiltrate too much, um, but you can, uh, but, but you, you have to work at that. If you're just hemoconcentrating enough to make yourself normalize COP and you have normal fluid distribution in your fluid compartments within your, within your body, and enough volume to come off pump with, with a euvolemic heart that's functioning properly, I don't know why you would, I mean, if you have to give volume, you have to give some volume in the mm -hmm. ICU. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. Higher hematocrits do better, um, especially if you can accomplish that without the need for allogeneic transfusion. And minimizing uh, bank blood is really a good thing. Um, having oh. high enough uh, blood clotting uh, factors in your and not so diluted will help with your coagulation postoperatively mm -hmm. and reduce your your uh, bleeding uh, complications. So to me, I don't see any downside to it. Mm -hmm. John, if you keep yourself with a prime in your albumin in your prime, mannitol in your prime, and keep yourself minimally hemodiluted, this doesn't happen because the volume that the ICU is talking about, why the patient doesn't have intravascular volume is because you stayed hemodiluted during your case, didn't hemoconcentrate, and all the volume you thought you were going to benefit from, third space. Yeah. Right. And right. that's why they're saying, you guys, you know, you can't hemoconcentrate because you're getting rid of all the volume. The more hemodilute you stay, the, the volume goes third spacing, and then they're intravascularly dry in the unit having to chase volume. Mm -hmm. But I know for a fact, because when I first started this uh, field, we would hemoconcentrate and keep our COPs high during the case, and our patients were three to five pounds overweight, not 15 pounds like they were before we started doing this, and the patients didn't have any problem with volume because it takes just a little bit to increase their intravascular volume because it's not all fluid shifting into the, th into the tissues. Yeah. And mm -hmm. tissues and lungs and kidneys and liver and, and uh, GI tract can absorb many, many, many liters of fluid. And uh, you wonder where all that volume goes. Well, humans you know, are made it's up of how much fluid. Humans are made up of 42 liters. The average, you know, 70 kilo man is 42 liters mm -hmm. of water, you mm -hmm. know, of which only not even not even five liters of that is or let's say six liters is intravascular because you have to take out the cells. Mm -hmm. And so your actual fluid volume intravascularly is your whatever 
your if your hematocrit's fifty percent, it's fifty percent of that because that's solid. That's just, those are cells. So three liters will say, or two and a half liter, or three three to three and a half liters, three to four liters of intravascular volume and forty two liters total body. That's an awful lot of fluid. Your body can hold. I mean, I've seen people. The high, worst I've ever seen, I think, was a patient who was thirty three zero liters fluid overloaded. 30. I have seen 30, three, wow. zero, 30 liters, and oh, yeah. she survived, and we survived her. Can you believe that? 30 liters. Well, how many times have you been in the unit, and you've seen them taking off 1,500 to 2,000 uh, net loss per shift, and they do that around the clock for days and days at a time? Sure. Oh, yeah. The flu, what did our patient open, have the other day? Five? Five liters? Yeah, five liters of yeah. urine. Five liters of urine, uh, one of our ECMO patients. And still intravascularly full. Like no right. flow problems. No flow problems. No problem. Five liters of urine came yes, out. Yes, absolutely. You guys had finally gotten where you were pulling all this fluid across. And it's amazing how much your tissues, when you encounter count, all your peripheral and your, and your internal tissues, can absorb. It's mm -hmm. amazing. Well, you many, have many liters. And I tell people this all the time. You have to respect your plasma refill rate, your, you know, your, your PRR. You have to do it because if you don't, you're not, you, if you don't adjust your COP, your collagenocytic mm -hmm. pressure yep. intravascularly, and you're just hemoconcentrating the intravascular space and not getting the fluid to your plasma refill rate to come to, to reclaim that fluid back from the uh, interstitium, you will collapse them cardiac wise. Likewise, when you are in the ICU and you're, and you're on VV ECMO, for example, versus VA ECMO, VA ECMO, you can still have that problem, but VV ECMO, and you rapidly correct an anasarchic patient and correct their COP to get volume over, if you don't have a way to get that volume out, you're going to put them into heart failure and they're going to die right there in front of you. Mm -hmm. So you have to really consider the plasma refill rate, and you have to take into consideration your COP. If you have a patient with an albumin of 1.2, don't give them a whole bunch of albumin and expect them not to go into heart failure. You have to be prepared to manage that fluid. And that's why when you see these fluid shifts in the ICU postoperatively, people aren't taking that factor into mm -hmm. consideration. And I think they need to better understand that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anything else? No, 